0: We wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present with our families. But we still
1: felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. And we wanted to establish financial security for ourselves and our children. For us, that looked like founding software companies, but for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other smart, conscious women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations
0: about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And you're listening to the And She Spoke podcast. In our business, we're big fans of financial literacy and accountability. Knowing your numbers is an essential aspect of building a successful business and an inherent responsibility for any entrepreneur.
1: We also believe that what you focus on grows,
0: so pay attention to your money. How do we stay up to speed on our numbers? We use Bench for our bookkeeping. It's simple, elegant, and saves us so many hours that would otherwise be spent neck deep in receipts on the other side of a spreadsheet. Each
1: month, our transactions are automatically imported into Bench and we get on-demand financial reports. We even enjoy opening up our profit and loss statement to review each month.
0: And when tax time comes around, we are up to date and ready to go. And this is what financial empowerment feels like. Head on over to ansheco slash bench to save 20% off your Bench accounting plan for the first six months. Welcome to the And Spoke podcast. In February of this year, there was an article on Medium called Underrepresented Founders Are Merely Collateral Damage, and it captured Jenny's attention so much so that she immediately sent an invitation to the author to come on to this show. The brilliant mind behind this piece is Daisy Anubagu. Daisy works at BACT, a venture capital firm, and is the lead on growing and managing the network of amazing humans that support BACT in sourcing deal flow, delivering portfolio support, and building brand. She is also responsible for BACT's diversity and inclusion initiatives on the investment side and is currently trying to solve the diversity issue in venture capital. That's why we had her on this show. So couple acronyms that are thrown around in the episode, VC is venture capital, DEI is diversity, equity, and inclusion. So even if you're not building a company that requires funding through a VC firm, but you are a person that uses technology every day, this episode is important and relevant to you technology doesn't just magically appear for us to use. There are people dreaming it up and creating it. And currently those people tend to be white males. They are the ones who get to decide what technology is created and appears in our world. And because they are basically the only ones who can get venture capital. So, there is a systemic problem, and we dive deep into that with Daisy. So, enjoy the episode and please make sure to click over and read that amazing Medium article that she wrote.
1: Well, welcome, Daisy, to the podcast. We're so happy to have you with us today. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you.
0: So Daisy, I am, as you know, we we're just talking a few minutes ago, I'm so anxious to talk about this Medium article that you wrote recently, but I think we just need to hear about you, who you are, what you do, where you work. Let's just give us the snapshot of
1: Daisy.
2: Okay. So I work for a Seed stage fund based in London. We invest in sort of high potential founders at early stage and hopefully will build things that, you know change the world, or at least make it um, a better place to live. We're not an impact fund, but we like to think that, you know, that the things that we look for are part of a future that we want to share. At that fund, I run our network, which is to try and find the humans who are not employed by the fund, but might be inclined to help us source deals or support the founders post-investment. And then that ends up overlapping quite a lot then with sort of ecosystem projects and DNI as a project, anything that we can sort of work with others in the ecosystem on in order to like propel the fund forward in any way and in terms of background it's a bit of a random journey to where I am now but I think that's true for most people in venture I studied law graduated and then thought maybe I should take a quick break because I only picked this career because someone told me I was mouthy when I was seven and I should be a lawyer because of that and I thought maybe not the best basis on which to build the rest of my life so I took what I thought would be a six-month break turned out to be two years at a web summit it was the start of me realizing there was this whole big world that I'd never known I had access to. I grew up in a single parent household, an immigrant household. And so there's just a lot about the world as it exists that you are so unaware of when you grow up without, without that sort of class privilege. And suddenly I was looking around, there were all these careers I'd never heard of. There were people just deciding they were going to start businesses and then I would blink and those businesses would exist because of a conversation they'd had with somebody else at a party that we hosted and realizing that the world that I thought was huge and vast and unnerable was actually just a series of decisions made by people. And that was a thing in general I was realizing a lot at that time in terms of understanding more about politics and systems and institutions that determine a lot about how my life works. And so I think I've taken that curiosity, that feeling like there's more to uncover and understand about how the world works, and also that I'm supposed to be doing something with the knowledge I found, that I've taken that with me in all my different sort of steps along the path at different startups. And then now at Backed,
0: And I have to say that that is backed.vc. I just like relaxed and just read it. I mean, it is like no other VC website out there. Like, what is it? I think it says like, welcome to different or something. Like across the (laughs) the top, it was like, welcome to different. And just the (laughs) branding and the design and the, the words and the messaging. It was so like, I literally just relaxed as I read it. I didn't get my back up. I wasn't all defensive. I wasn't like rolling my eyes at it. It was so good. So how did you find, like, did you start there from the beginning or?
2: No. So I joined only about two and a half years ago, but the fund is five years old. And it started off with just two friends who I think have spent a disproportionate amount of time together in their lives and just well together, then college together, and then worked at McKinsey together. And ultimately, I think there's a lot that resonated with me when I first met them. They're both generalists who would like to sort of map out the kind of career that means you're constantly exposed to change and innovation and supporting people on their journeys, even if you reckon you might never be the sort of specialist who builds your own thing. And so I think for them, it was all about there has to be a way to both have a career you're really proud of, one that fulfills your ambition, but also one that, you know, you don't make choices that you're ashamed of or that contribute to sort of harms that you see in the world. And I'm not saying that anything is perfect, but I think that has influenced a lot of the choices they've made in terms of who they brought in, but also a lot in terms of this tension. I think that constantly exists within the fund About how to be the most human you can be and kind and just, I don't know, keep some semblance of a soul even within a mm,
0: a yeah.
2: career that has capital in the name. And I think that's what resonated with me when I joined this. We want to figure out what it means to be human centric. We want to figure out what it means to be community driven. We want those things to be true and we're not always going to get it right. And I think they understood a lot about my values, not necessarily being ones that automatically sink in with this industry, but sort of welcome that in as like, hey, we'd rather have you be in here disagreeing with us and pushing us in that direction, given that there's so much counterbalance and force in the other direction then go with someone who sort of like fits in a little bit more with the thinking of this industry.
0: Which is exactly what we're going to talk about. I wrote this down. This is what Daisy said. I like solving problems. So I thought I'd take on VC's big old diversity problem. Like what? Like <laughs> what? I mean, of course that's needed, but I love that you're just like, this is a problem. I like problems. <laughs> I'm going to try to solve it.
2: Yeah. I think that's me in a in a nutshell. You know, I, I have ADHD and it's very easy for me to sort of jump from thinking a thing that I think might give me just a nice quick hit of dopamine and at some point my brain clearly decided that the best source of that was sort of untangling puzzles and there's no stronger combination than untangling a puzzle that then ends with someone being really happy and it's like a double hit and so I think my a lot of my life and a lot of my career has been built around that being the problem solver the support system the one sort of because I need to untangle things in order to myself be comfortable because I can't deal with contradictions but most things to entangle them means to go the journey and I think when you take that sort of initial driver or sort of a core driver as a person and then combine it with this feeling that I want to be comfortable in my life without survivor's guilt I don't want to feel as though mm-hmm. girl done good you know black queer female immigrant kid but now I work in BC and I'm fine and it's all good and there isn't really any way for me to enjoy where I am without finding some like answer to feature the part of my brain that goes well what are you doing how are you Making it better for whoever comes behind you, who didn't get so lucky. And so I think that's true for a lot of people, a lot of millennials, I think, especially within corporate work and sort of contemporary study now, which is like, how do you find the thing that you can say is your contribution, is your means to help? And there's like this giant, <laughs> big old, unavoidable problem as soon as you get into venture, both in terms of who works there, but of course, in terms of who is ultimately supported. And so there's no way to not end up pulled into those conversations. I think it's impossible to be a woman or a person of color, any sort of kind of minority outside the default category, and not end up drawn into those conversations, whether just colloquially with friends or eventually, wow, we should be really be doing better. Or how can I stand beside an organization where we aren't doing anything? And so you end up kind of on that journey trying to figure out, you know, I'm going to solve it. I'm going to be part of solving it. It's been kicking around for a while, but this time it'll be different. And so I think I started with a lot of that probably quite naive energy.
1: It's so interesting, Daisy, because I I see this pattern and I've noticed this over the years that there are many of us who come into the startup world, whether it's into venture capital or becoming founders like we have become because they're drawn to this idea of social change. And it's, yeah. it's hard once you get into the system to actually affect change because the system is actually... Yeah. Already quite programmed. And so I think we should dive into your article because you write about this so eloquently. Your article is called Underrepresented Founders Are Merely Collateral Damage. And I think the moment I read this article, I think I sent it to Sandy. And then I think I immediately reached out to our podcast team and and said, please invite Daisy onto the show. This is a conversation that everyone needs to be having who's in the startup world and in the venture world. And so could you just go ahead and tell us what led you to write this article? And I also want to make sure you share with us how your firm reacted to this article getting published for sure
2: so what led me to it is actually a lot of it is the firm and so it's been an interesting journey coming to this realization because I think for me sort of the way that I look at things is you you know raise up a certain possible answer to the question you're answering and then if that one doesn't feel like it works you have to go one step further and so you know I'm looking around and I'm saying okay there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of change. I'm looking statistically, and you know, whatever it is, single-digit sort of portions of invested founders or invested in founders being women, and sort of even sort of decimal points being black people. And I'm like, this is not a new conversation. In fact, it's so old, it's become almost like banal. And this sort of weird thing where we make fun of the fact that we're still having the conversation. And so I'm like, well, what gives? And there has to be, you know, it's one of only a few things, either nobody cares and they're pretending or people care, but they're somehow doing it wrong. And so, you know, I started off with the like, well, I'm not going to assume that nobody cares and they're pretending because then I might as well give up and everyone's evil. So then it's that they they care, but there's something they're missing. And I'm looking around at Bact in particular. And to me, this is the best representation of like a firm that's built Fundamentally on privileged individuals, but who also really, really, really want it to be different. It's like the perfect example of well intentioned, but something's not quite lining up. And I was looking at our portfolio, sort of stats when I initially joined. I'm like, these are almost all white men, but you don't want it to be that way, but you don't know how you keep ending up in this situation. So, what's going on? And so, that's been my journey to say, okay, I think what's happening is there's a lack of understanding here about what things you have to actually do to dismantle the system beyond just wanting it to be different. And realizing that a lot of people in my sort of surroundings were looking at this problem as though it was one of just like personal choice and willpower. Well, if I just decide I'm going to be a good person, then good outcomes will happen. Not understanding that a lot of times when things are being designed, the bias that's designed into them perpetuates no matter what you decide that you want to do differently. And so for all your good intentions, if nobody, if your entire sort of fund sourcing mechanism is built on on referrals, and the only people who you trust as sort of trusted referrals all only have a certain type of people in their network. And then when you look at them, you don't uh, sort of even the extent that somebody slips through the cracks, I guess, who's an outsider, they don't have the signals you normally would go for. So I'm looking at this and breaking it down and so do sort of sort of at stage two then, which is I need to communicate these things and it will be better if people can understand what to do take a systemic approach to dni then we're going to start seeing changes and then despite a lot of this happening so i, I spearheaded a lot of this internally a huge amount of support everyone had buy in we had like debiasing workshops we instituted all sorts of policies around you know well if if sort of default founders white founders and white male founders will benefit from sort of signals that mean that they always get the benefit of the doubt move to first meeting then we're going to intentionally attach that benefit of the doubt to non-default founders so they get the best chance rather than just a deck that might not maybe communicate too much and then you know we'll standardize the questions we're asking so that all founders get a chance to shine on and on and so forth and we're doing these things and i'm still seeing that time and time again something keeps sort of not happening or not giving and i'm like well maybe i'm zoomed in too close and it's just that it's taking more time I'm like, there's this blocker and this barrier to change, and I can't quite put a finger on what it is. And so that was more and more thinking. And in general, I think a lot about capital and sort of capitalism as a structure and some of the ways in which that holds us back and creates unintended consequences and such and such. And then suddenly became really clear. I'm like, well, the problem is nothing can change because there's a thing, there's an opposing force to all the work that I'm trying to do. And the problem is nobody's acknowledging that that force is there, which is There's only so much time in the day. There's only so much capital to go around. And if you are only going to ever look at a minority of things, then you'll focus on the minority that serves your purpose best. And in this case, that is to be able to realize huge returns. And if at the end of the day, it's actually much more rational to play the game in this way, then there is always going to be this massive cost from your perspective to implementing any of the systemic changes that I'm recommending. And I looked around, and I was like, am I missing something? Because then surely everyone would be talking about this. People already get it. And I'm like, okay, well, a lot of why I wrote that actually was just to see if I could articulate it to myself and try and figure out what it was I was trying to say. And so that's where it came from. So interestingly, I think the team is really used to me, I guess, in that particular way. So I think there's both a real lack of surprise but then also like an acceptance that there is truth in what I'm saying I and mean, how do we figure this out, right? Like, And so there's choices we've started making, whether that's things like creating a small pre-seed fund that's focused on Black founders so it makes it more likely then that we pull in certain founders into our sphere or going out of our way to mean that there are trusted sources that we know are more likely to have minority founders and underestimated founders in their circles so that we're just seeing more of them, prioritizing the time we'll be spent there and then also just me playing like I don't know watchdog I suppose and sort of asking the questions the point they need to be asked like is this person not benefiting from signals that they can't have that have nothing to do with whether or not they're a good founder and those things and I'm seeing change I'm seeing progress and I think a lot of it is because they're honest about the fact that if they don't oversteer, nothing can change because there's so much incentive to keep things as they are.
1: Just settling on this idea that kind of venture itself, like diversity in in venture is incompatible with capitalism. I mean, that's a massive realization. I've come to a similar realization as well as a realization that things like, you know, climate justice is also incompatible with capitalism as we know it. Yeah, most people, from my experience, aren't willing to zoom out that far and to think that systemically about it because we're all like, living within these systems. These systems themselves yes. are very difficult to change. And so I wonder like, how you give some ideas in this article, but can you share with our listeners once you realize that the problem is actually that systemic, like it's the entire economic order in which we live that's creating these these biases that are really harming everyone because, yeah, you know, you mentioned in the article, you know, when there are more women founders and more diverse founders, though everything is better for everyone. <laughs> As an individual working in yeah. the system, how do you go about starting to affect change?
2: Yeah, I'll caveat this by saying I'm not entirely sure. In fact, the article I'm working on now is like a general cry for help to be like, does anybody want to join my little self-help group? Of we also have no idea how to balance this paradox of changing (laughs) a system while working within it, even though working within it necessitates that you do things to perpetuate the system. So caveat, I have no idea. On the other hand, I guess what I'm trying to do is to continue talking about this because I think it's one of those where the hard thing about take your system views you zoom out and it's super clear you see all the pieces you're like okay well this was different this is different Then fine and then you zoom back in and then you're here and sort of suddenly you can't see the like the forest for all the trees and so I'm conscious that if I focus too hard on that I will I don't know give up do nothing (laughs) maybe find some like tiny hole to live in and shut the world out but with none of those being an option what I'm trying to do is to say can I be part of reimagining different ways for people to fulfill their ambition to build something. Because I think that's what this comes down to is that what capitalism does is take like impulses and ambitions and desires that are all super normal, but then sort of create this illusion that there's only one way for those desires to be like, you know, actualized or for those ambitions to be realized. And then sort of the path is super narrow. And if you can ever get on the scarcity Mindset then means that if you don't fit into whatever arbitrary criteria was decided, then you just get to do that thing. Sorry, no being an entrepreneur for you. Sorry, no solving the problems you want to solve. I don't make the rules and yet they actually do. And so I think to me there is it's great that there's also work in there sort of kind of pry apart and sort of widen that pathway a little bit more. But what I'm thinking is if it can be more possible for someone to say, well, all I really wanted to do was build a business that meant that I didn't have to you know, answer to anybody else. And I made my own decisions. I hired a team and we became like a family, which is some of the reasons people start entrepreneurship or I really want to solve this problem. I see it happening and it's bugging me. Like all of these are things that technically speaking, you shouldn't have to build a billion dollar company in order to fulfill those desires. They're disconnected, but we just can't see it that way because most people have only been taught about entrepreneurship in a very specific way. And to me, that feels like a worthwhile endeavor because, and not that I, you know, stop doing what I can to say, okay, who can we else can we bring into the pathway of traditional venture? Because then their involvement continues itself to change things, but also to say, can it be more possible for people to question this? And can there be, because I think the harm of it diminishes significantly in a world where you have all sorts of ways to realize ambitions, personal or social or otherwise, all sorts of ways to embark on projects. And this is just one option that you can do if you really want to, but ideally you you won't feel like you have to. I think the actual proportion of people who are like, the thing I want most in the world is to build a billion dollar company above and beyond everything else, I think is a fraction of the proportion of people who do.
0: Yeah, that's right. I love that Jenny's like, let's zoom out and look at the system. And I'm like, can we talk about the men, please? Can we talk about the individuals? (laughs) So I'm going to zoom in in now. Yeah, you're just going to have to flip-flop between our two brains.
2: (laughs) That's okay. This is what happens in my brain. (laughs) It's helpful to (laughs) have these representations.
0: Yeah. So when I read this, it was like, oh my God, she's just described exactly what we've been experiencing for six years. I mean, I couldn't figure it out. And like, oh, here's Daisy's just described it exactly. What I find so interesting is that you say the men that have the wealth of the venture capital, typically, they are like, yeah, yeah, more women, more people of color. Yes. Great idea. Yes. It's better for the world. Yes. It's better for everyone. And yet they don't. And you're like, wait, right. Which is sort of the logic you explained in the beginning. I'm wondering if you can explain a little bit more about that the, the concept of the signals and what they're seeing and how they look across the table and they look back into the past. And I just also need to say that everyone does need to go look up this article because of the drawings. And this is how my brain, and I was like, oh, oh, and I understood this better than anything I've ever read. Because of your drawing. So I just want to say, I assume they're yours. And I just want to say thank you for yeah, adding yeah, those. Cause it like <laughs> I could see your brain thinking through the problem and I, I loved it. So anyway, <laughs> sit
2: Thank you. But yeah, and I think what's interesting to me is that it took almost sort of like watching my team like they were little rab rats and studying their every move to realize what was happening and why it was so at odds with what they were saying that they wanted and what I genuinely do believe they want. Because if you, especially if you're, you know, this can be different when you start becoming a very, very large fund, et cetera. But if you are a small seed fund, what you are trying to do is to compete for what you might term the hottest deals. You don't want any founder. You want the very, very best founders. And we put all sorts of words around this exceptional, like it's an inherent, like fusa or something that's inside them, but. This is just a rationalization. Whereas the thing that you know entails the best founder is actually far more about the environment than it is about them, because the best founders are the ones who probably would have gone to these elite institutions. The best founders, because they were smart enough to get into them, and then the best founders are the ones who are most likely to have been referred to you as a seed fund by this amazing angel investor because that guy really knows what he's talking about and he wouldn't have picked them if they weren't so great. And also, you know, the best fund is the ones that actually other funds at our stage are also really excited about. Now we're competing, now we have to win and they must be good because there's a chance we'll lose out on it. And it's frustrating that we're so disconnected actually from like really understanding how our brains work and actually how simple little lizards we are because of course you think something is valuable as soon as a rival also wants it and of course you think something is great as soon as it has a halo around it based on the trust you have in the person who gave it to you but what you're not realizing is they have the same so there's also a halo around it from the institution that passed it to them and so this lack of understanding of the ways in which we are I can't really say manipulated because there's nothing doing it to us It is our very own brains it means that We are, people are following through with these inevitable patterns, but then when they try and explain to them what's happening, they have to assume they have agency. So they use words like they were just the smartest ones. They were just the most competent. They're just the best fit for being a founder. And then you end up in the situation where we are, where they say, well, look, of course I want to invest in more women and I want to invest more in represented founders, but should I just toss aside this excellent founder? Like this one's clearly amazing. So am I supposed to not invest in them so that I can invest in this one? And the real problem is that if you say, well, no, you can just do both, the actual reality, which is what then when people do say and what a lot of funds will respond is we will do both is that you can't because the whole point of venture is to create arbitrary scarcity like that's how capitalism works you can't have everybody have a diamond because then diamonds aren't worth anything you can't have everybody get to build a business no matter how suited they are to building a business because then how could you only have a minority end up concentrated with such capital that they become vehicles for other people's wealth and so we end up in the situation where there is definitely not enough room in the boat because that's how it's been designed. And so you do have to make trade-offs. So then why would you make a trade-off then for this untested, unknown entity when you have this kind of like done deal of one that is, well, if they have, and then you have, then definitely Atomico or somebody's going to do it at the next stage and then on and then on and so forth. And part of the difficulty of trying to articulate this is you sound like a nut job. You sound like a conspiracy theorist because when people are so used to things being true and when they feel like they're proven out by, by reality, it's really difficult to get them to think of it differently and say, can you imagine a situation in which there is actually a giant category of humans who are well equipped to the challenges of founding a business? They are gritty and resilient and they're smart and they have gone through the kind of journey that makes them like commercially savvy, et cetera. And then if we say that bucket is huge, can you then imagine a situation in which if a minority of those are bolstered with enough capital to get enough time that they get to make mistakes and learn and figure out and also use marketing to push other people out of the way, they will then end up disproportionately more likely to succeed than anybody else who is also in that bucket of equal capacity or potential or whatever else. And so it's super logical, but it feels contrary to the reality that we see. And so I think that's the difficulties that it took me all of this time obsessing about this because I I couldn't rest. And then also being the person I am, such that life has made it very clear that these systems and institutions exist because you have to know misogyny exists. Because even before you'd have the words, you are aware that you don't seem to have been, you know, catered to you by the world and you have to be aware that you know racism and white supremacy exists because you're also aware that the world seems to be designed for white people not for you and so it's like I've had a lifelong education in all of this and then it still took me this long being inside being at the core face before I got there and so there's a part of me that despairs a little bit for how insert well-intentioned white dude here for whom the world has never really shown that it has, Workings behind the scenes and things are as they are for them to start rethinking this so entirely that they would then make what to me seems like one of two impossible decisions, right? Because it's one thing to encourage founders or potential entrepreneurs to think about lots of ways in which they could realize ambitions. It's another thing to, as a VC, I don't even know what it is I want them to do pack it in, maybe, but I also don't (laughs) know because if the choices are, well, you know, pick this one instead of this one then that's its own thing to have a quandary about. And maybe, you know, you still should, or I don't know, take other people's money that you have agreed to on very specific terms and start investing it differently for abundance rather than scarcity. I don't know. And that's where it gets very difficult to imagine how to change this space. And so it becomes a bit easy for my brain to go, okay, how can we alleviate the harm that results in there being such a narrow space? for too few people how can there be other spaces that still give people everything they want so they are not consolation prizes maybe they might even be better because you get to do the thing you really want to and not get caught up in a race that was never supposed to be the point and I don't quite know how but I'm I'm hoping just sort of keep talking about this and keep ending up in within the conversations of people building those doing those so I can be I can be useful
1: So Daisy, I want to push back against this consolation prize thing a little bit because I've thought a lot about it as someone who is playing the consolation prize game and saying that is hard for me to say out loud. (laughs) But I would just say the piece that concerns me most about this structural inequality going on within VC is that there's this idea of who gets to make what we use in the world and who gets to design the future and i think that there're beyond sort of this like brilliant experience of building a company and getting to like follow your bliss and create something new and have fun and build a team like a family all those things you can have without going down that venture backed route however there is this very tiny sliver of very specifically <laughs> segmented white men within a certain age range that are essentially creating the reality that the rest of us are living in because of how much power, disproportionate power technology creates in our world right now. And I think like, for me, like, I want to know, how do you feel about that? Because to me, that's, they're designing a world that works for them, whether that's conscious or not. And I find that like deeply ethically troubling that such a small group of people get to decide how we live, what we do with our time, how we interact with our community. Yeah,
2: that I completely, completely agree with. And it's the thing I was was like, okay, fine. They can just take their ball and play their weird game. and We'll go make a better game. And I was like, oh wait, no, their game then means that everybody's playing within their rules. And I think about it some more and then it occurred to me. So I started trying to break down like What are the harms and actually are they all under one bucket or do they separate out? I'm like, okay, there's one harm, which is you rob people of their ability to, you know, live their lives the way they want to build things, be entrepreneurs, et cetera, because they can't get in the door. And then there's this, you, you know, create a situation in which we have solutions put out into the world that are, that are not good or come with ancillary harms or exclude other people. And then there's the third piece of, like, who gets celebrated as geniuses and luminaries and who's at the top of the social food chain, as it were. And so I'm like, okay, these three separate things can maybe solve differently or do they all require the same solution? And my thinking right now, and I won't deny that it's definitely still rudimentary, is, is that they don't, right? And I look at a fund, like, backed as an example, and I keep using them as one because they just seem to me like the very, very, very best version of the thing that I don't like. <laughs> And I don't think they can solve the first one, which is, are they going to make it possible that everybody who has a dream to be realized can do so and there's fairness in terms of that access? No. But is it going to be possible for, one, in terms of the choices they make of who they do invest in, and then the choices they make in terms of how they steer those people to build their teams? Is it going to be possible that we end up then with more ethically created products or companies or solutions and I'm like yes to a degree I think the bit about like how things are built starts to me to be like well it's a good thing if we think things are built by teams rather than by individuals it's a good thing if we pick individuals who get that in the first place who are like I may happen to have benefited from this privilege and I'm not going to not take it so definitely invest in me but that said, I would really like to build this in the least first way. So here is my super diverse team, and here's how we talk about values and organizational design. It means that what we're putting out into the world is less likely to be awful. I think, and I, the cap that I still put on that, though, is my concern that even with the best of intentions, and even with a Black female founder or whatever, I still think capital sometimes, because of scale and this idea of winner takes all, forces you to make trade offs and forces you to start. Creating harms where you could only be creating solutions—that I have a little bit of a question mark too. But to me, that that has nothing to do with who ends up in the driver's seat because that's just the reality of building your business, but in capital. I think that's going to take societal change and regulatory change and all of us rethinking what it means to be consumers, etc. For that piece to change, that one is like a problem that sits outside the intersecting Venn diagrams. But in terms of like, are can you back white founders who also still give a shit that they're you know? NLP is also trained on like black voices and their algorithms that are supposed to recognize what a person looks like also are trained on, you know, Indian faces and brown faces and who don't think it's normal to have health tech that isn't tested on women, like on just smaller men. I think those sorts of changes are extremely possible depending on how you think about how you screen for ethics, how you think about how you encourage that even in the face of trade-offs. And then the third bit of like, who gets to stand on the pedestal is like, these are the luminaries of our time. That one is a big problem. But it also feels to me like, I don't think the solution that is necessarily that we would have then more Black billionaires or more female billionaires, though, fine, great, if we, if that, like, as that continues to happen. But I think to me, that's more a, can we all as a society let go of the idea of the individual genius to begin with? Because it's absurd third. Everything everybody does is a product of the people who came before them, the people around them, the teams that built it with. And so I don't even necessarily want to like knock off the current pedestal and replace Elon Musk with like a brown one. I just want us to be able to understand that output is wonderful and has, there's no room for it to be any one person that it's celebrated around and put up on a pedestal. And so I guess that's, <laughs> if I could draw it out, it would probably be clearer. But to me, there are sort of four separate problems. And there can be improvements on all of them, even considering the constraints that are true of how venture can change, which I think is to say not very much. But I think Mm. it can change in terms of ethics and values far, far more than I think it can change in terms of diversity. And I see that already.
1: Mm. I think more so than the problem of elevating these geniuses on pedestals, which we do. And I think there's some element of human nature that just needs to to elevate certain people. What concerns me so much is that the amount of wealth that's generated through this kind of venture-backed startup world, and then who, when someone IPOs or has an exit, like that any one person has access to that, that much wealth and what they choose to do with it. And this is coming from someone, I come from a nonprofit background worked in climate most of my life, and was constantly having to make decisions based on what wealthy men who have cashed out of major tech startups what, thought I should be doing as yeah. a climate justice attorney, right? like So I have a, a very specific set of problems and observations that I've observed from who's made king, and then how they somehow get deemed to have the resources to decide which problems get solved in the world. So it goes way beyond startups and tech and everything, right? It's like how philanthropy works and it's like who gets to run for office and who gets elected. It's everything. Yeah,
2: completely. And that's why, again, I'm like, it is so crazy to me that we aren't all talking about this all the time, right? That outside yeah. of circles, like the ones that you and I have, it because I'm like there are like seven different overlapping terrifying problems here, and we're not spending nearly enough time unpacking them. But that one in particular strikes me as one that I often hear lots of DNI advocates talking about solving through the mechanism of diversifying venture, and I'm like, but it to me won't be enough. There are so many outsiders billionaires who also follow the same script, because as long as our presumption about how it is you are supposed to be wealthy remains, it doesn't matter who or what their background is doing it. They don't know any other way to be wealthy other than to then sponsor that library, do the right thing. Because, and again, because it comes in such a human place of like, I'm going to be helpful. And whether you want to do that because of ego or whether you want to do that because you really want to be helpful, as long as there's no other way in society, as far as you know, to do that, then you're going to fall into that same trap. And to so me, that's one where I get frustrated when I hear it happen within the sort of DE&I conversations. I'm like, that's a, can we figure out how to go back to the idea of a collective pot rather than like yeah. benevolent
1: <laughs> demigods. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hopefully laying totally. down us, but, but, but yeah, but yeah. it
2: definitely doesn't help that, you know, our so far benevolence have all, all been from a very particular category and one in which has like, you might argue, a far more dangerous concept of the problems of the world because they've been least exposed to the realities of how those systems operate. So I definitely can see that. I think, you know, Oprah is probably a less shitty billionaire than, I don't know, insert one of the random white old dudes, but she's also not great. And again, this becomes one of those, and it becomes so terrifying. You want to look at the scale and you're like, can we even fix this? And I take hope from sort of conversations that I see happening around like Anangir had for instance, that feel less like they're less and less sort of preaching to the congregation and more and more having actual dialogue with you know, insert nice billionaire here who kind of gets it and is like, I don't think it's great. We don't have a wealth tax. And I don't think it's great. We have massive brain drain from civil service and going only into consulting and finance and then leaving the civil service mostly run by idiots in most countries. And all I can do is hope that all of these bits of dialogue are sort of shifting some of that. And I'm also hoping that there is like a generational shift within Gen Z that means that they see institutions as savable and see the idea of the collective as savable, because I think our generation just ran for the hills, which I also understand. We were like, oh, government. And then we all like left. And I don't know anybody from my class who I thought should go on to do great things that ended up in civil service or in government, which is terrifying. And that is one that keeps me up at night but it's one that i eventually came to the conclusion i don't think can be solved necessarily by changing the game on a diversity front but rather feels to be like change of the game on a taxation front and also in changing the very narrative people have about what it means to be in a society to contribute to the collective because that's the best way actually to live rather than to wait for benevolence that usually comes with strings
0: i want to be a benevolent demigod <laughs>
2: Don't we and then I'm like, no. <laughs> and that's the problem that it's super attractive as a human being. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, it would be cool to wave a hand. And apparently I can cure cancer or I can yeah, fix poverty. Solve malaria, and then you don't whatever. actually, but you know, you're like, it would be cool to be able to do that. And I like to think I would wield it well, but I think realistically it is impossible to wield a certain amount of power like above a certain threshold. It's impossible to wield it. Well, I think it is itself dangerous. It is itself corrupting because power is only realized in what you can do that you shouldn't be able to do. And so, yeah, I really hope that it won't be in our generation, but I hope at some point there is an era of humanity that lives where everybody is collectively powerful and no one individually is disproportionately so, because I think it just, it makes so much so impossible.
0: Oh my God. Well, I think that that is a great place to end this. Thank you so much. I think Jenny will lead you through joy and hustle.
1: Yes, Daisy. So after all of that, (laughs) I'd love for you to share what in your life is bringing you joy right now, because as you said, I mean, it's heavy. The work is really heavy and ultimately it comes back to finding ways to sustain yourself as a human being. Yeah, for sure. My favorite thing in the world right now is TikTok,
2: which is unfortunate. And yet again, the like there is no ethical <laughs> consumption. There's no consumption without guilt. I'm like, oh no, massive data farm for oh, nefarious purposes, funny. but also. I think what I love is it reminds me of like those house parties that maybe you experienced once or twice, if ever, where it felt like every room was its own universe. And you'd walk in, and somebody <laughs> over there is juggling, and then somebody over there is d- discussing the nuances of like linguistic theory. And then somebody over there is explaining how everything you thought you knew about, you know, I don't know, microbiology is actually wrong. And then somebody over there has got a weird kind of fish you've never seen before. And they're explaining how it works. (laughs) And I just, I feel like I learned so much, but more importantly, I just, I laugh in that, in the way that I, I, the only way I can laugh these days, which is crying a little bit inside, but also still laughing at it and getting a little bit of hope because it feels like this is a generation that has grown up and sort of my, my little brother's generation. I'm in that weird, no man's land of, being kind of millennial, but almost Gen Z, but not. But if you're like Gen Z, Gen Z, they've grown up with complexity from day one and they're just leaning into it in a way that most of us didn't really have to tangle with until much later. And even now we're still struggling to just accept that the world is insanely complicated, whereas that's their day one and they're figuring out how to laugh about it and talk about it and learn. And I'm like, that's kind of hope inducing,
1: which is nice. Yeah, totally. TikTok is, I think, a very complicated answer that brings a lot of people a lot of happiness too. So, and then what about a tool that has helped you hustle in your career?
2: Yeah. So, for me, the biggest one, maybe it's a bit dry and functional after all this philosophical rambling, is just Zapier, is creating automations. I'm a big fan of workarounds. I am a big fan of not trying to force nature, like human nature, your personal nature, but rather just figuring out a solution, even if that means you sidestep yourself. And I am not going to be good at admin and I'm not going to be good at repetitive tasks that don't have complexity to them. And that's who I am and that's fine. And so being able to like, one, get really excited about the possibility of building an automation that works. We usually sustain my enthusiasm and my motivation long enough to do it. And once I do it, I'm like, oh my God, I never have to do this again. So I think there can also be this huge sort of daunting barrier of something. If you consider yourself non-technical, and I'm definitely non-technical in that sense, in terms of no previous training, but it can be just super fun to play around with, and you start to realize actually how much of your job and your life is not hard and not intellectually complicated, and actually has no bearing on your, you know, how smart you think you are, but it's just dull repeating that needs to be done. And then when you clear those out, you're like, oh. Interesting. Okay. Now I can just chill with these two hours that I would have spent doing this or I can, I don't know, go on TikTok.
0: I love that hustle for you because I don't want you doing those tasks. I want you writing and drawing arrows and boxes and drawing like images of money bags and connect the dots. Like that's what your brain needs to do. That's what the world needs you to do. Thank you. So people will definitely link that Medium article in the show notes, but where else, if they want to connect or talk or learn more about your work, Um, where would they go? For
2: sure. It's Madame underscore Daisy. I made it when I was like
0: 11. Don't make fun of me.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Better than the previous one, which is Daisy QT. So anyway, find me on Twitter. And especially if they are similarly angsting about the paradox of living in a system, but also trying to take it down, but also not really knowing if that's just your weird brain making you sick. And actually you should just chill out and accept it. Like a lot of other people seem to accept it. If there's somewhere stuck in that Bermuda's triangle of thinking, definitely hit me up. I would love to chat.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Daisy. It's such a pleasure to chat with you. I just, this article is like, I'm just going to have to reread it every time we have a conversation. I'm just going to go back, remind myself, remind myself. It's okay, Sandy, you're not (laughs) the only one.
1: Well, I'm going to share it with every VC that reaches out on email every day so i have like now an auto reply like Excellent. before i'm talking to you please read this article
0: great idea jenny I'm doing that, too. that is
1: incredibly
2: <laughs> incredibly honoring thank you and yeah maybe they'll figure it out maybe they'll just fix it then we can all just go home <laughs> that would be great yeah, seriously
1: thank you so much
2: thank you guys this was wonderful